0: Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 38, is where we will be this morning. And if you have one of the church Bibles, one of the blue Bibles back there, it's page 937. And as always, feel free to grab one of those Bibles if you uh, don't have one with you. And if you ever bring someone or someone's here that doesn't have a Bible, please take one of those Bibles home with you. It's our gift to you. And as you're turning there... I want to I talk about a little bit how the city of Franklin is really doing some construction. Uh, there's been a decent amount of it happening. They've been working on the roads in our city. Uh, they've been building new factories. They've been putting in new local restaurants. And they've also now, you know, have plans to put in even more chain restaurants and a few franchises. And I've been told that close to our house, we could expect a Starbucks and a Taco Bell uh, that will be going in close to us. Uh, which for us, I'm pretty sure it's going to cause a spike in our caffeine budget and consumption. Uh, but for dad, it's going to save a lot of gas money and time going to Taco Bell. And so hopefully for the Walker family, things will even out uh, even out with the, both of those things going in. But listen, Taco Bell, okay, it's a restaurant and it is a franchise restaurant, meaning a franchisee can pay a certain amount of money uh, to start their own. And there are many other franchises like this that you can open up, uh, right? So even like McDonald's and Subway, those are some fast food examples. But even in other industries like the hotel industry, car rental, uh, financial planning, things like that, there are different franchises um, where a franchisee can, you know, give them a certain amount of money to then start their own branch, to start their own store, to start their own restaurant. But here's the thing if you are a franchisee of a Taco Bell and you open up your own store, okay, listen, you still have to sell tacos. Right? That's kind of like there's not really a lot of freedom there to deviate from the menu items. If you are a franchisee, you need to have a specific look, you need to have a specific feel, you need to have a specific branding as the rest of the stores and restaurants have throughout the country. There has to be a certain store kind of consistency in how you set things up. And so in general, things have to look the same, taste the same. They have to be called the same. There has to be a uniformity with minimal deviation from the franchise. And you see, this same franchise mindset is sadly present amongst many Christians as well. And I've titled this morning's sermon, When discipleship gets franchised, when discipleship gets franchised, because we are far too quick to look down upon or distance ourselves from other believers whose churches maybe don't look the same as our church. Or whose churches don't feel the same or don't sound the same or don't say things the exact same way that we like to say things. And so we can easily look down upon other people who, who don't have, right, the phrase gospel-centered at the start of all of their books. I was looking through my bookshelf and just the, the camp and the people that we read and are around. I mean, literally every book starts with gospel-centered, gospel-centered this, gospel-centered that, Right. And as Christians, we we far too often, we isolate ourselves into our little camps, into our little denominations, into our networks, or to certain bloggers that we follow, or certain podcast pastors that we listen to, and we falsely think and believe that we have exclusive rights to the gospel. And we seek to then silence or stop everyone else that's not in our camp. And this morning we come to a passage where Jesus is once again teaching his disciples. He's trying to prepare them for their journey to Jerusalem and his upcoming death and resurrection. And remember, we've just seen the disciples, That we've just seen them fail at casting out a demon because of their unbelief, because of their lack of prayer. We've then just seen the disciples argue about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus says, hey, no, true greatness, it's all about serving one another and putting one another ahead of yourself. And Jesus has just taught them this, and now John is going to bring up a circumstance to follow up on this true greatness conversation in regards to an encounter that the disciples had had at some point before this when they came across someone who was outside of their camp or outside of their franchise, someone who wasn't a part of the Twelve. And as we go through this text this morning, we're going to talk about why discipleship often gets franchised, right? We're going to cover why this happens, both the bad reasons why it happens and the good reasons why this happens. And then we're going to see how Jesus frees us from the desire to try to stop one another, and instead we can now serve one another. And hopefully in the end we'll be able to enjoy and learn from the differences that exist among those who belong to Christ. So are you guys ready? Mark 9? All right, let's do it. Mark 9, verse 38. John said to him, "Teacher." We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. So John, after hearing Jesus' teaching on what true greatness is, he brings up a circumstance, okay, that it happened, right? He brings up this point to Jesus. Now remember, John is one of the three disciples that Jesus took with him up to the Mount of Transfiguration, where he revealed to Peter, James, and John his glory, that he is God in the flesh, John is, uh, along with his brother James, they were given the nickname the Sons of Thunder by Jesus, right? And then John, later in chapter 10, this is still coming, along with his brother James, they're going to ask Jesus if they can sit at his right and left hand when the kingdom comes. And so clearly John is still struggling with this true greatness thing. He's trying to kind of work through this, all right? He's trying to process this, and he brings up this circumstance. He says in verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him." Now remember, the disciples had just failed at casting out a demon, and here's a circumstance where someone outside of the twelve— was seeing success in casting out demons in the name of jesus you can imagine there was probably some jealousy there i mean here were the 12 disciples and some of them had just recently been unsuccessful in casting out a demon and here was someone doing good stuff doing good work in the name of Jesus, but he wasn't in the same camp as John. He wasn't in his group. He wasn't in his posse. He wasn't following who John was following on Twitter, right? He wasn't listening to who John was listening to. He wasn't reading who John was reading. And so John tried to stop him. Now, we don't know much about who this man was. We don't know much of the backstory, But we do know that Jesus commissioned more than just the 12 to be sent out and heal the sick and cast out demons and proclaim the kingdom. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, you don't need to turn there, but we learn that the Lord in, in Luke chapter 10 had appointed 72 disciples to go out two by two and to go into the towns ahead of Jesus. And so could this guy maybe been one of the 72 already sent out and commissioned by Jesus? Maybe, maybe he was. Could he have been maybe one of John the Baptist's disciples who, who, you know, John the Baptist, towards the end of his ministry, said, hey, Jesus has to increase. I have to decrease. Could he have been one of John the Baptist's disciples that is now following Jesus? We don't know. But you see, what is revealing in what John says to Jesus is this. He says, we tried to stop him because he was not following us. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say we tried to stop him because he's not following you, Jesus. He said we tried to stop him because he's not following us. You see, church, what happens when discipleship gets franchised is that we end up getting more concerned about making disciples of us than we do disciples of Jesus. And we think all Christians should look exactly like us and listen exactly to what we listen to and educate their children in the same way we educate our children and diffuse the same essential oils that we diffuse, right? And put gospel-centered in front of everything in the way that we put gospel-centered in front of everything. And and we think all people should talk about God's sovereignty and God's glory as much as we talk about God's sovereignty and God's glory. And they should sing cool modern hymns like we sing cool modern hymns. Modern hymns, And they should bring back catechisms like we are bringing back catechisms. And they should integrate kids early into the worship service like we've integrated kids early into the worship service. And they should preach verse by verse in the way that we feel it's best to preach verse by verse. We think all Christians should look exactly franchised like us. And so we create our little camps and our denominations and our networks We create this franchise and this brand. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a certain way that the church, that a local church agrees to do some things. That should happen. But the problem is when you look at those outside of what you're doing and in your pride and in your jealousy, you say they must not be following Jesus because we are following Jesus. If someone's not following us, we assume they must not be following Jesus. Because we are following Jesus. And so if they're not doing it the same way that we are doing it, then they must be stopped. When discipleship gets franchised, we become more interested in making followers of us instead of followers of Jesus. Now listen, the comforting thing for us this morning... Is that this tendency, this pride and this jealousy that we can have amongst different camps and sects of Christians and the walls that we put up, okay? This is not unique to us. We see it here with the disciples, and we even see it back in the book of Numbers. And so if you have a Bible, turn back into the the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. It's back in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, It's page 132 if you have one of the church Bibles. It's the book of the Bible in your uh, read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plan that you don't get to when you get burned out in Leviticus, okay? It's the one right after that. Numbers chapter 11. And I'll catch you up a little bit where we pick up Numbers chapter 11, okay? The people of God have been redeemed and rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and they are now wandering in the wilderness. And the people start to complain about the manna that God is providing them to eat. They start getting tired of this meal, and they're wanting meat instead. And Moses says in Numbers 11, verse 13, he says, Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. It's the same thing our hospitality team thinks the week before a church luncheon, right? Where... Are we to get this meat? Verse 14. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Moses is feeling the burden of being lonely in leadership. And here we we see God be gracious and give the gift of plurality. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let me take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone." Now, this isn't why we went to the book of Numbers, but this is a side, let me rabbit trail for a a minute, okay? This is a beautiful gift when God surrounds a leader or a church planter or a missionary with a plurality of elders, okay? That's not why we went to this passage, but just look at how good God is to Moses to give him this this gift. But look down now at verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp and Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. Stop them. Similar to what John and the disciples did, right? Right. When these 70 elders had the Spirit rest on them, they started speaking in the power of the Spirit, similar to the way Moses would as a prophet, right? But there were two that spoke by the power of the Spirit in a different location than the rest, okay? The tent of the meeting was, was outside the camp. These two, Eldad and Medad, they were prophesying in the camp. They would have been surrounded by thousands of people, They would have been getting a lot of attention from God's people. And Joshua being jealous for Moses. Joshua being jealous that the Spirit would be working through someone other than his boy Moses. Wants these guys to stop speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Moses says in verse 29, Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. You see, wasn't Joshua making the same mistake as John? He was more concerned about people being followers of Moses than followers of God. And Moses said, do not stop them. He said, I look forward to the day that the prophet Joel will prophesy about when the Spirit of God will be poured out onto all of God's people. But church, what a sad thing it is to see the Spirit at work and out of jealousy not glorify God and rejoice that His Spirit is at work. And you and I, we do the same thing. Like what if what if God decided for the Spirit to be poured out in an extraordinary way in this city where we saw we saw just tons of people coming to faith in Christ? What if we saw the poor and and, the and and the the outcast being served and welcomed in? What if we see more churches being planted? But what if God did all that through another church and not us? Would we be jealous? Would we assume the worst of them and look to nitpick what they're doing? Or would we rejoice that God is on the move? I want to be able to be the non-jealous type of pastor, and I want us to be the, type of the non-jealous type of church. But if I could be honest, my heart's not always there. We need the Lord to help us rejoice when the Spirit is at work, even in a, when, it's not here. Turn back to Mark. Turn back to Mark chapter nine. You see, the, church, the king, you see, the church, right? The kingdom of God is bigger than the kingdoms that we build. And the body of Christ is more diverse than the parts of the body that we hang out with. And while it's not wrong to have convictions and while it's not wrong to have certain ways that, that we do ministry and do things as a local church, we cannot allow our pride and or our jealousy to cloud the mission and vision to go and make disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus. To go and help others follow Jesus. Not ultimately us. Ultimately to follow Jesus. We do not have a monopoly on the gospel here in Franklin, and we will not be the church that bashes or looks down upon other churches that do things a little differently than we do them. If they are serving the city in the name of Jesus, if they are proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus to the city, then we we must care more about people following Jesus than people following us. And listen, there are so many things that we can learn from people that are outside of our camp when we don't let our pride and our jealousy get in the way. And so let's get, let's get really practical, okay? If we don't want to franchise discipleship, if we don't want to necessarily just make people look exactly like us, but we want to help them look like Christ, then we can't just read and learn from people in one specific camp. Like, have, have enough humility to occasionally read from someone who lives on a different continent. The church is bigger than North America. Have enough humility to occasionally read from someone who lived in a different century. Following Jesus is not a new thing. This has been going on for a while. Have enough humility to listen to someone whose skin is a different color than your own. Have enough humility to occasionally learn from someone who grew up in a different socioeconomic status than you did, who is a different gender than yourself, someone who's maybe from a different denomination or network of churches than what you're in. And listen, taking the time to listen to a brother or sister from a different camp or a different denomination, that might not make it so that we will always agree on every single point of doctrine, but hearing from them will at least allow us to not demonize them or falsely call them a heretic when in fact they are a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Now listen, I realize me telling you to read pastors and authors and teachers outside of our camp. I realize this probably makes everyone, including myself, a little nervous. And why? Why why do we get nervous when we start talking that way? Because God's word also teaches us that we are to guard against false teaching. We are to guard against false teaching. And so there are many false teachers who seek to deceive or mislead you and lead you from the truth. And so why has discipleship gotten franchised? Well, the bad reasons why are because of our pride and because of our jealousy, okay? But there's also been some good reasons and good intentions why these walls have been put up, and one of them is to guard against false teaching. And so if we are going to break down the walls of a hostility that divide us as believers, we need to be able to do it carefully in community with one another so we are still protected against false teaching. Peter, when writing to the churches in Second Peter chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, we'll have this one up on the screen. He writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them bringing up themselves swift bringing upon themselves swift destruction and many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed they will exploit you with false words then in paul's letter to titus in giving instructions For the qualifications of pastors and elders, he writes in Titus 1 verse 9, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We must, as a community of believers, with the help of a plurality of pastors and elders, we must hold to sound doctrine and be ready to rebuke and call out those who contradict it and call out these destructive heresies. But here's the question. Here is, here is the question when I come to this passage in Mark, Okay. When do we look at another church or another pastor or another teacher? And when do we say, like Jesus said, the one who's not against us is for us? And when do we rebuke those who are believing, who we believe are contradicting sound doctrine and teaching destructive heresies? Because that's the, that's the angst I feel when I come to this passage in Mark And he says that the one who's not against us is for us. And yet I can think of a lot of just false teachers that aren't necessarily saying they're against us, but they aren't really for us. They're leading people astray. And so that's the angst that I have. That's the question that we need to, as a community now, kind of delve into. Because honestly, if we were not preaching verse by verse through the book of Mark, I wouldn't have picked this passage to preach. Because I fear... That the danger of not franchising discipleship, of not just having you read authors and pastors and writers from one specific camp, my fear is that you would fall under false teaching and be led astray. And so, where can we agree to disagree with fellow believers, still pursue unity, and where do we need to call out false teaching? And I think Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary, he provides us some helpful advice on how we can call out false teaching, hold to sound doctrine, and yet also pursue unity with believers who don't see things or do things exactly the way we do. He wrote an article, and in the article, he encouraged believers to understand that there are levels of theological issues and levels of theological doctrine, that not all doctrine, not all things that as Christians we hold to carry with it the same amount of weight, okay? And he breaks them down into three levels, into first-level issues, second-level issues, and third-level issues. The first-level issues are the issues that we must cling tightly to as Christians, First level issues are the issues that the Bible is super clear about, okay? There are doctrines like, that, are, that are just most essential to the Christian faith. Doctrines like the Trinity. We believe in, like, just like we sang in that song just a minute ago, we believe in one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. A first level issue or doctrine is, is the full deity and humanity of Christ, Another first-level issue is justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way to be declared right with God. Only it's by God's grace. It's only through faith. It's only in Christ. That's a first-level doctrine. And the authority of Scripture is another one as well. That this book is no ordinary book. We believe that this is God's Word, and as such, we need to submit to it And it's authority in our lives. And so listen, if you are listening to or reading teachers, and especially teachers that are claiming to be Christians, but they're teaching against some of these first level doctrines, then you need to run. Run the other direction. They are false teachers. They are leading you astray. Have your pastors, have one another in your community of faith help you to discern if this is false teaching that you are being exposed to. But listen, not all issues are first level doctrinal issues. Al Mohler suggests that there are some second-level issues as well, okay? And these are issues that Christians can, can disagree on. However, their disagreement might make it so that they can't necessarily be in the same local church together. And so one prime example of this is, is the meaning and mode of baptism okay? Uh, Presbyterians and Baptists see baptism differently, okay? Presbyterians and other denominations uh, uh, will will, uh, baptize infants, okay? Baptists say, no, we don't think that's the best meaning and mode of baptism, but you should baptize believers once they are of age and can give a credible profession of faith. But listen, Presbyterians and Baptists both believe that the other are Christians, okay? And yet they can uh, disagree on the best meaning and mode of baptism. But this disagreement, it does kind of keep them from being in the same local church. But they can still respect one another. They can still learn from one another. They can still grow together and celebrate that they're part of the same universal church. And then there are third level doctrinal issues. And these are issues that Christians should be able to disagree on and still be in fellowship together in the same local church. But unfortunately, we see these differences divide us uh, more than us uh, understand that we can still be in fellowship with one another. So things in this category would be things like eschatology, the study of end times, uh, the study of the creation account, kind of old earth, young earth, things like that. And listen, there are many issues that fall into this category where 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 the Bible does not it's not clear. There's some text that could be interpreted differently. And there are some issues that fall into this category that we can lovingly agree to disagree on, but still recognize that we're still both believers and we can be in fellowship with one another. But what happens with these three levels is there are two major errors that happen, okay? One is what's called theological liberalism, okay? And their error is that they say all doctrines are just third-level doctrines. Like there's no, there's no first order. Like, like all the doctrines, the authority of Scripture, the, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, those are things that, you know, some of us agree, some of us don't. We can just hold them loosely, okay? And that is to their error. The other side of that is theological kind of fundamentalism, which says that all doctrines are first-order doctrines, and if you don't see the end times the way I see the end times going, then you are a heretic and you are not a Christian, right? These people like to call lots of people heretics, and a lot of them have Twitter accounts, and they do so on Twitter. Don't get on Twitter. It's gotten really, really bad. Uh, But listen, so church, if we are going to have any chance of not franchising discipleship and not just making disciples of us, but making disciples of Jesus, then we have to do this alongside one another in a posture of humility, understanding that there are certain doctrines that we must hold tightly to. And we must call out false teaching. And yet there are also doctrines that we need to be gracious with one another about. We need to be gracious with fellow believers. And we need to learn from fellow believers even in our differences. And the only reason that I think this is even possible is because this jealousy and this pride that exists among believers today It's the same jealousy and pride that existed amongst John and the disciples. It's the same jealousy and pride that existed with Joshua. And the reason that I believe that unity is even possible is because Jesus has not only reconciled us to God, but he has reconciled us to one another. And the gospel frees us from jealousy and pride towards one another because we can rest in that we belong to Christ. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, and Ephesians 2, we'll have this one up on the screen as well, Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 18, speaking of Jesus, in regards to Jews and Gentiles, Paul writes this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." It is Christ we proclaim and not ourselves. For it is through Christ and his death and resurrection that we have access to God, thereby killing the hostility that exists between one another. You see, true believers proclaim Christ false teachers use Christ to proclaim themselves. And you can spot them by their fruit. And so I'm not suggesting we pursue unity or community or fellowship with false teachers and those that are strained from sound doctrine. True believers proclaim Christ. And it is through Christ that we have been reconciled to one another. And so it is through Christ that we can be free to stop trying to stop one another, but we can be free to serve one another. L- look back at Mark 9, verse 41, and we're going to close with this. Mark 9, verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Don't miss this. Even the smallest act of service towards a fellow believer will not go unnoticed by God. Jesus says even handing a cup of water, which seems like a pretty simple small thing to do, even handing a cup of water, even that will be rewarded by God. This should motivate us. To not only serve one another in this building, but to serve other churches, other believers as well. You see, John's thinking is that he needs to stop anyone that's not in his group. Jesus is saying, you actually need to go serve them. Like verse 41 because they belong to Christ. Verse 41. Because they belong to Christ. When I serve a fellow believer who goes to a different church or who differs with me on certain doctrines or differs with me in philosophy of ministry, but they love Jesus, when I'm with them, I want to serve them by being with them in a posture of humility and grace, not because we agree on 100% of things, not because they are part of our church planting network, and not because our churches all have the exact same vibe. No, I want to serve them because they belong to Christ. They belong to Christ. If you only want to serve people because you really like them, enjoy them, or agree with them, you will have a very short ministry of serving. People will hurt you, betray you, annoy you, disagree with you. You don't ultimately serve them because they agree with you or because you like them or because you enjoy them. You serve them because they belong to Christ. And it's a love for Jesus that motivates our service. And churches, God would allow us to be a part of more and more people's discipleship process. We must continually ask the question, are we making disciples of us or are we making disciples of Jesus? Are we serving and being gracious with brothers and sisters and churches outside of our camp? Knowing that we don't ultimately belong to a certain camp. We don't ultimately belong to a certain network. We don't even ultimately belong to Franklin City Church. We ultimately belong to Christ. And our brothers and sisters on different continents who lived in different centuries with different skin colors, living in different socioeconomic circumstances, of different genders from different denominations, or even being in our same community with different strategies, they ultimately belong to Christ as well. And so may our pride and our jealousy be repented of, and may we be all in and not making disciples of us, but in making disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, please help us not make this all about us. And please help us not just make disciples of us. God, we do want to guard against false teaching. We do want to hold tightly to sound doctrine. So please, Lord, help us do that. Help us guard against false teaching. And yet, Lord, Give us wisdom and discernment. Give us humility and grace as we serve and we learn from those outside of our church and outside of our camp. Lord, may we be ultimately kingdom-minded and not just what we are seeing you build here right now. So please help our pride. Please kill our jealousy.